Let's Roll. This is Counter Charge, your podcast for ranks, flanks, and kings of war. as they delve into the world of Panathor and bring you worldwide coverage of all things Kings of War. Welcome to Countercharge. I'm Alex Coos. I'm Matt Groja. I'm Jeremy Duvall. And I'm Rob Fudoff. It's been a very long time since we have the entire band together for a musical interlude like this. When's the last time we were all together? Six months, maybe? Would it be that long? A bit because I, w- I wasn't on the year in review. I was I was still in my my cave of sorrow, so I wasn't yeah, yeah. on that episode. Yeah, we might have been one of the one of the live casts like back in the summer, maybe. Yeah, it's been a while. We're here tonight to celebrate our 600th episode. We just had that big thing like a year and a half ago where we hit 500, and it was a big big to do. And then like 600 kind of just crept up on us. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, all of a sudden we were like, oh my god, we need to get it recorded. <laughs> Let's just jump in. We've got a lot to cover tonight. First up, we do want to mention the Mantic Army Challenge winners from last year. We did actually pick names, did talk to the people. We've already sent them the prizes. They've already received them. So huge congratulations to John Paul Fuller Jackson for winning the Kings of War drawing. Kings of War stuff has been dispatched and he's already received it. Going forward, people need to follow Travis Tim's lead here. He read the room and said, nobody signed up for Armada. That's what I'm going to enter. And you know what happens when only one person enters the drawing? They win. They win. <laughs> I also uh, have heard hot off the press, he is the big favorite for the Adepticon Armada tournament, is what I'm hearing. He's bringing it. He's bringing some filth. Admiral Tim is out, out for skulls. Yeah, Admiral Tim. Travis uh, obviously won the drawing of one for the Armada stuff. What else is interesting, nobody noticed that no one submitted anything for dead zone slash firefight. So we still have that prize collection that we'll, we'll be reallocating it to a another challenge that we have coming up in March. So guys, top tip. If you look and see that nobody else has entered your odds go up dramatically. Paint more mantic models. Yes. Well, let's do a little hobby chat. We haven't had that in a while. Alex, start us off. What have you been painting? Kingdoms of Man, Rordia. Yes, that's on. I, uh, I, Jeremy just said paint more mantic minis. And I had, a, I had a brief, um dalliance with a with a spanish lover <laughs> i've been painting infinity stuff lately since christmas because ash barker of gorilla miniatures gaming on youtube he's he started up a local quarterly infinity tournament uh, about 45 minutes from my house from where i live so some of the local guys we've we've been casually playing infinity for the last few years so we decided to make that a a reason to finish off some projects and stuff. So I, I just kind of Yujing army, if that means anything to anyone. Well, if he's that close to you, you got to go film some Kings of War content with him. Come on, bro. I, this is a segue. <laughs> it's a segue. A segue. You, you cut, you're cut, cutting, in, cutting my, uh, my surprise uh, reveal. I, I, I digress. Yeah. But we allocated you to be his King's lover a long time ago. It's true. It took a while. We, well, we were separated. We up here in Canada, we had a lot a, a much more strict uh, socialization code <laughs> for quite a while. No, actually, I got to play Ash in round two of his tournament because he was playing the ringer. He's my only loss that day. I actually did okay. That I got seventh out of 21, which I was pretty happy about. But Ash kicked my And uh, we got to do Gorilla Minch Gaming versus Countercharge, Kings of War and Infinity matchups. He's not far from me, so I have had some car trouble lately, but I will <laughs> once the car is up and running. Is that where all your podcasts 
recording equipment. <laughs> yes, it's in his trunk. It's in the trunk. I own, I, I live I live in my car, Jeremy. So okay, I'm sorry. He has like a, like a cal- a gaming calendar where you can like go play him and visit and you know get on the channel and stuff. So yeah, awesome, awesome dude. He used to live here in Memphis, and you know he, he's he's been around. You know when it, back when he worked for GW. Yeah. So yeah, he's a super cool guy. It's a different game system, but he's he's kind of seems to have built a community around the Infinity game that's of similar vibe to the Kings of War guys. So it's it's nice. It's, it's a really positive, friendly group. You know, if you came to Adepticon at some point, you could play your you get your Kings of War fix and your Infinity fix. Yes, all for one event. <laughs> it's on the agenda at some point. But yeah, so that's kind of what I've been working on now. But now. March of Death is coming up in March, so kind of focusing on Kings of War going forward for the next couple of months, I think. Are you playing in March of Death, or are you running March of Death? I'm running it. going to be the ringer. We're up to, I think, 20 or 22 people with a month left, so I think it's going to be a good good weekend. we got uh, Ray Shields coming down from Ottawa. We've got some guys from Buffalo coming up, a bunch of locals, a bunch of new guys. You know, a guy, a guy from Peterborough I've never met before, some other locals that are, you know, not too far away, but they're coming out of the woodwork. So the, the scene keeps growing around here, which is awesome. It's awesome to hear. Yeah. Jeremy, you been painting? Yeah. So I got my first paint on my Iron Ancestor, testing out the new. I don't, I, I, I've been told that, it, it, you know, calling it slap chop is like what the young hipsters call it, that this technique's been around. Back in my day, I painted that way. But I'm I am using the you know prime black dry brush you know gray to white and then using contrast. But I used Dark Angels green because I was going for I wanted to go for like Dark Angels color scheme, but it was way too dark. So I picked up the Army Painter version um, of their sort of Dark Angels green color, Absolution green, and it's much more what I wanted. It's not as dark. It's a little bit lighter color. So I, I did it on a test model, and it looks great, I think. I did the the gray, white dry brush, but then I went in with white, and I picked out all the rivets with just pure white paint and did some scratches and did some like line highlighting with the white. And then I did the contrast on top, so it picked up a lot of that like uh, that those transitions. So I just took time and did a lot of transitions with my gray to white and then went over with the with the contrast color. But I really like that Absolution Green uh, from the Army Painter Speed Paint. So now it's just going to be, we have Rid of Steel coming up in two weeks, but I'm using Britain's Army. So now it's just all Forge Fathers all the time. So I've been assembling my second Iron Ancestor. I got a bunch of my regular guys put together. So I don't see any issue finishing in time for Adepticon. So that's basically what I've been doing is, is all firefight all the time. And uh, I almost have put together, it's not really hobby, but I got the Masterpiece Optimus Prime Lego set for Christmas. So I almost have that put together and that has been like super fun. It's like a, a couple thousand piece, like a big Lego set. So I've been doing that like a jigsaw puzzle. I just had it on my kitchen table and I like put together a couple pieces, you know, a couple parts as I come and go. But super into Firefight. Uh, we're going to be posting our a poll soon for which next faction review we're going to do. So stay tuned for that. But we had a lot of good feedback from people who like the Forge Fathers. And it's cool. I really dig uh, painting sci-fi. One thing I will say is that the Iron Ancestors are rustic, that rustic material. And I have not missed it. It is, it is a lover that I have not missed as we've been reunited. But I mean, 
they're they're not it's not a crazy it's one two models in my army you know that's that material but super cool to be painting sci-fi stuff though it's nice change of pace what about you rob how's the how's your adepticon prep pretty good i i just finished six of the scorch wings and so all i have left to get to like 2250s i've got six more scorch wings and a phoenix so at that point then i have to decide am i going to play with what i what i have or if i'm going to pull some stuff back and change i still have a slasher and i've the ceremonial guard are on the go. I'm not going to get those done. Let's just be honest. Let's just not even pretend that's even a possibility. To get 40 dudes painted, it's not going to happen. They're not built. Realistically, I went to my store downstairs in the garage. I have a bunch of fire elementals and two greater fire elementals. If I decide like I want to paint those, I, I might I might add those in. But I don't know. I have firefights to paint too. How about you, Matt? You're doing salamanders, right? Halflings are done? Halflings are not done. Uh, they're, they're still at the same level as we finished the last challenge at. So I'm just waiting for some reinforcements from my uh, from my assembly slave. I'll, I'll add to them this year slowly, but yeah, prioritising salamanders for the Aussie slow grow at the moment. So I've assembled, I think, a horde of fire elementals, a greater fire elemental, Scorchwing, um, Skylord, whatever they're called. Um, the Gekotoa Skylord. Gekotas, yep. Yeah, yeah, Phoenix, uh, Six Tyrants. Yeah, a little bit of everything, a mage. I mean, most of the resin stuff has been awesome. I've got I've got 80 salamanders in a bucket all all clipped and ready to put together. Yeah, so like I'm 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 really enjoying the salamanders. And I, I had memories of I think I said this on one of the episodes that might come out soon hatred of the of the actual salamander models but i don't mind them i don't mind them the the two the two-handed versions are annoying as a lot of mantics two-handed version stuff we'll just make all ceremonial guard or unblooded don't worry about it yeah yeah i mean the most frustrating thing about the whole infantry line for the salamanders is like the upgrade packs and you know one how expensive they are and two Mm -hmm. they're, they're not even in stock some of them i know the racken players are lamenting that right like yeah it hasn't been that's been a year since they've been in stock yeah, someone, I think it was actually even Mike saying to me the other day that it's been a, for the shock troops or something, is it? It's been yeah. a year since the upgrade bits have been in stock. So, But otherwise, the vast majority of the resin stuff is is super quality. Like the fire elementals um, were a dream, um, as was the greater fire elemental. Like they just fit together so well. And I've still got, you know, lots of stuff left to assemble too. So I'm, I'm, I'm going for, a, you know, assembling most of it and, so yeah, heaps of that going on. Settled on my paint scheme of orange and bone and blue flames, and that's uh, primarily what I'm working on. But really enjoying writing lists for salamanders too. I think they're a pretty good, diverse list that you can do. You know, a number of different builds, high unit strength, scoring, high drops. Yeah, can put out. You know, can put out a list that has high crushing strength if you want to go that that route. Yeah, I, I think they're a they're a bit of a list. I mean, the other thing the other thing that's frustrating is just uh, I mentioned this to Mandic recently is just incomplete ranges. You know, it's just there's there's been so much effort put into making these awesome models, but then you still can't get Gekatar stuff. Like you're just missing one or two units. So yeah, when I was coming to start on Salamanders, and it's just it's not different for other things like Trident Realms and. Yeah, like it'd be really tough for them and really tough to make that decision, but they just need to start filling out some of these ranges. And maybe they could do something like Manta Games, The Last Crusade. They create some sort of thing about filling in ranges, make that its own marketing thing. Yeah. So instead of like having to 
they feel like we're not focused or we're having to do one thing from this army or one thing from that army. Yeah. At this point, I'd be like, I'd be happy for them to go back to Kickstarter for that. Do you know what I mean? Like I generally hate Kickstarter, but if it was with this defined goal of look, do you know what? We want to fill them out, but we kind of need the money to do it. Go, I'll throw, I'll throw the money at them to fill out the ranges. Wrap it into like a summer campaign book that has like a special version of each one for each army, you know, just something, something fun. Oh, yeah. See, that's super smart. There you go. That's a great yeah. idea. Like, I actually think they're, take, they're taking the smart road, right, with doing the, like, smart in a way of doing the bulk infantry and new stuff for most armies, like getting the, the meat the meat going of the of the meal but it's just super frustrating i think and and i think it would be a barrier to new players as well to not be able to get a whole range so yeah i'd i'd be totally prepared for them to do that with sally's you know we don't have commandants we don't have gekatoa there's several things in that list that they need right and i think they're missing out right because people are going to have to substitute something else in yeah, and then once you start substituting, it's a slippery slope for some people. They're like, well, maybe I'll find something else for this item and then this one. And if I can't get it all, I might, you know, I'm going to this other range. I might as well match for those. Well, exactly. I want everything to be exactly by the same designer that it looks cohesive, yeah. right? And yeah. so it's hard to like, uh, commandants, I'm like, I'm going to wait because I, I, I don't think I would be able to find something that intrinsically fits well aesthetically with the tyrants and the like uh, Kiladons and all the stuff that they've already done, which is a great range. I think that's something that they've actually been getting a lot better at is keeping that aesthetic like consistent across an army like and across armies. like So it's like, that's been a weakness that they're actually getting better at. So you don't want to like, you want to lean into that and keep going. So if anyone's listening, you know, from Mantic, you know, I'd be more than prepared to throw money at like saying, this is our filling in our range Kickstarter. I throw money at them every week. So I don't know why it would be any different if whether it's on Kickstarter or not. Mm, yeah. hundred percent. We did put a request out for community responses to three simple questions. I think we'll kind of go through and, and answer the questions. And then at the end, we'll play the clips. Thanks to all of you that have submitted clips. Jeremy, you want to start us off? So why do you play Kings of War? To me, this comes down to, you know, we always talk about the hobby triangle, right? Or the the three-legged stool. So for me, which is what they used to call me back. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> it, it is, from a rules perspective, it is the version of mass combat fantasy I wish they had made my whole life as far as... I love that age-old saying, a minute to learn, lifetime to master. I've, that's what I love most about Kings. You can teach someone how to play it in one one or two games, but yet, you know, you, still this many years in, I'm learning new techniques, refining skills, seeing people do army builds or deployments or strategies, and I'm like, oh, wow, man, that's really cool. I never thought of that. So from a rule, you know, rules perspective, it is the game that if I could be like, I want a fantasy combat game. What would what would the rules be? And it is basically that. Absolutely love it. And then multi-basing. I mean, do we really need to say anything else? I love the hobby aspect of Kings. It's just so amazing. I love multi-basing. I love the diorama basing. Uh, it's just what you can do. It's just a hobbyist dream. And then finally, you know, I, I say this with, uh, as many heart eye emojis as can be, you know, floating away from my from my house. It's the community. Yeah, it's just such a group, good group of guys 
we've talked about it so much, right? The community and fellowship that we found through, through Kings of War. So for me, it's sort of all those elements. It's an awesome game that I love to play. It has great models that you can build creatively and the community is just awesome. Favorite Kings of War memory for me, uh, in, in honor of Adepticon, I got to go to uh, Adepticon at Mantic Night when everyone was giving me their drink tickets and I was slightly inebriated sitting in front of Jesse Cornwell as he was giving me his play-by-play of the Mantic Night as I was looking across the room and, and Keith Randall was cracking up and just, oh man, that night was just so fun. Uh And then probably also one of my favorite memories is becoming part of the podcast. I was just thinking, I was talking about the podcast to someone just the other day. And they're like, well, how long have you been doing it? And I was like, oh, let me think. And I remember back so vividly when I had done the first Army in a Weekend and Rob and I were chit-chatting. And I had said, you know, you should do this show called List Builder Studio. You can kind of make it like inside the actor studio. That would be really cool. And Rob was just, well, why don't you come and do it with us? And next thing you know, you know, here we are many years later uh, and just really, really blessed. And then finally, the question, what are you most looking forward to in the future? For me, it's uh, spending more time on Mantic models. I sort of decided that it's Mantic models or bust for me. With how much I'm loving the EOD and Firefight, I'm pretty much now 100% going to be working on Mantic models. Really try to push the envelope, see how great we can make those models. Uh, growing the podcast, you know, I think we continue to grow the cast, both in contributors, quality of episodes, depth. And, you know, I'm really trying to view 2023 as a year of like physical, spiritual, and hobby growth and enlightenment. This is my year of enlightenment. So I'm just really looking forward to all the positive stuff we have planned. Obviously, Adepticon is going to be so great. Uh, Masters this this summer, looking forward to that. But just so many awesome and cool stuff. Um, what about you, Alex? Why do I play Kings of War is a lot of what you just said. Like it's that line is something I use all the time when people ask me what the game is. It's like it's the game I wanted, you know, Warhammer to be my entire you know growing up in my early adulthood when i was like playing is like it just streamlines it in in a way that keeps the like what you want to do and it just gets all the extraneous like out of the way um doesn't get bogged down it just and it's like it lets you play the game and not the rules it just gets out of the way and just lets you enjoy the game i'm you know notoriously you know, slow contemplative kind of individual. So it's hard to play a game like Warhammer quickly or a game like Kings of War quickly, but somehow Kings of War actually does allow that for like allows me to play it at a, at a pace that is reasonable. You're getting games done in five hours. Yeah. I can get two games in a week, you know? No, it's great. Like I, like, you know, last, last summer, I think I was, a I was a ringer and, a player at the in the same round of a tournament, so I, I actually played four games of a three game tournament, and I don't think I could have done that in any stage of any other game that I've played. Like it's, it lets you play the game, and it's like the game it is, you know, like you're saying that's it's simple on the surface, but there's great depth. Like we've all been playing. Like I think we were going through this episode and trying to figure out when we all started to play. I think this is like my eighth year. 
of playing Kings of War. And it's still awesome. 2015, that's when Second dropped. Yeah. So we have a lot of players in the community that started with Second Edition. Yeah, exactly. Because First Edition was a little, you know, we're, we're going to talk about it. But yeah, it was an interesting, interesting period. So. Yeah, it's great. It's inspired me to, you know, build and paint very slowly, but still build and paint armies. And it's, you know, it's really invigorated my, uh, my hobby life. It's awesome. I think, you know, my favorite Kings of War memory it's probably the first Crossroads GT that I went to. I, my buddy Steve and I, we had been playing, you know, Kings of War for about a year and a half at that point, I think, maybe two years. It's tough to tell. You know, time is a flat circle and all that. So we had been playing for a while. We had slowly built up a, a small community. I think we had had like eight people at a one day tournament a couple months before that. And we were just looking for two people to round out a team and we found one guy and then he dropped out and we had to find two people, two more people and the McCready brothers stepped up and we'd never met them ever. (laughs) And they just like reached out on Facebook said, Hey, we'll, we'll join your team. So it's like two brothers and Steve and I, who are essentially nerd brothers teaming up. We played like two practice games. You know, we met, for the first time, like a couple of weeks before the tournament, drove down to New York together, you know, had an amazing weekend. Like we're like, you know, great friends now. It's we've been to Crossroads three times together now. And that in and of itself would have been like an amazing memory, like just building, you know, getting two awesome friends out of it. And then Crossroads is such a great melting pot of like so many regions. We got people from the Midwest, the northeast the mid-atlantic you got like southeast like tons of people from all over so it was a really great you know environment to meet the kings of war community at large and that was amazing because you kind of see it a little bit on fanatics and facebook but to be be in a room with a hundred other people playing kings of war was just something that like i had never experienced before with any game so that was just like really eye-opening and it kind of inspired me to be more community focused. Like I'd already tried to build up the local scene a little bit, but it made me like think, wow, I think this is something we want to like foster even more and like actually create something better here and bigger. Now we're running a couple 20, 30 person GTs a year in Hamilton and the scene keeps growing and, you know, keep getting to know everybody in the Northeast and all the local scene, like the, you know, North, North American scene. And it's awesome. Like, I think just that, I don't know, it's a memory. It's an ongoing thing. It's like, it's awesome. I just, it's, it's Kings of War has opened up a whole world of uh, people and community that I never thought was, would be available. You know, what am I looking forward to most in the future with respect to the game? Further growth and development of that community. Like we, like you were saying, we keep growing. More people keep playing the game, get to meet new people. More events keep getting planned all over the place. It used to be that there was three events in the Northeast, and now we have like six or seven big events, and every region's growing. So I think that's an awesome sign for a healthy game. And, you know, the minis keep getting better. Like Mantic stuff is, you know, they've come leaps and bounds over what they used to be, like aesthetically and quality wise. I think it's really exciting to see where they're going with all their new armies. And I think, you know, Armada looks great. That's something I really want to dive into this year. And, you know, I'm really excited to see where they go with all that. The new Trident Realm 
fleet looks cool. I'm really excited about the Northern Alliance fleet. So I think, you know, Mantic's going in a, in a really good direction. So I'm, I'm pretty excited about that. How about you, Matt? So for me, I think, uh, why do I play? Well, a simple thing is I think it's, it's, it's what my really good friends play. Right. But also like I find fit like you, Alex, it's, um, it's, it's a rule set that allows you, that will allows me peace of mind. Right. So I can put down and I can concentrate on it and try to play it well, but I'm not, you know, i my brain is not all over the place playing it. Right. And, and it's actually the opposite for me. It's probably the, the only time my brain's not all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> it allows me to, you know, um, play that focus and have that calm and, and enjoy some hobby with some friends. I think hobbying as someone who's never really been artistic at all in their life has, you know, I've also found a lot of calm in the hobby aspect and, and that's what I really enjoy. In terms of my favourite Kings of War memory, it, it probably similar again to you, Alex, was like my first um, tournament, which was Clash of Kings Australia with the only one I didn't run. <laughs> Uh, which is basically uh, whatever the first one was after after second edition dropped. So uh, yeah, I just uh, I, I it was my first big gaming experience at all. I was a you know I was not a really a teenage gamer or early twenties gamer. Uh, so you know I was closer to thirty than than not when I when I had that first experience. And so being amongst all those people with a shared hobby at CanCon, you know where there's also thousands of you doing various forms of games um i think was a was a really strong memory for you and it was interesting jeremy trying to look back when he when he joined like i have distinct memories of of listening to i think primarily at the start you know um rob and jeremy and hearing jeremy talk about his undead army and then it took me took me ages but i sat here rob while we were listening and we need to get some sort of better search function on the charge page, I think, because I had to click previous so many times. <laughs> but yeah, but my first episode was 406. So I've only been here for the last third. Yeah. Feels like longer, right? But that, that's essentially three years. Save the best for last. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, because I think everyone everyone was already here prior to me. So, um, you know, coming up on 200, um, being around for 200 episodes. And then uh, what I'm most looking forward to in the future, um, I think simply will be Alex's second episode for the year. Nah. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Yeah, no, Shade. no. It's going to be a good one. Yeah, good. I think growth in the... Uh, continued growth as, uh, you know, Mantic, I feel, are going in the right direction. Uh, we're running our Australian logo this year. And week one, we had 198 comments on the thread. So, um, and plenty of names. That yeah, that's that's incredible. Yeah, plenty, plenty of names that we haven't seen at tournaments or anything. So, I think, you know, if we can just push it that little bit harder, I, I'm really positive about uh, growth of the game. And, you know, continuing to interact with you guys too. You know, you guys are a great part of my life. And, uh, yeah, that's what I'm looking forward to. What about you, El Papi? I'm going to be short and sweet. So I've got one answer for each. So, you know, why do we play Kings of War? Why do I play Kings of War? I just think it's the best fantasy rules out there, and the community is great. You know, what's my favorite memory? Uh, those first few times when we were in first edition playing Kings of War at Adepticon with that small, you know, the the Kara Browns, the Mike Carters, the Mark Zelinskis, the Shannon Shoemakers, that memory is burned in my head. We had such a great time. Uh, and then what am I looking to most in the future? I'm going to answer it two ways. For the community, I can't wait to go to Adepticon and meet a bunch of new people. That's going to be amazing. And then for the game, their new models are amazing. And I'm really happy that, you know, they've got a consistent artistic look. I think the, the stuff that's coming out of Poland now, 
like the new ogres are just a classic example of what we're going to be getting in the future. So I'm excited about the future with Mantic. It's going to be better and better and better. Hello, this is Chase Thompson from South Mississippi. Decided to send my audio clip in because Rob thought he needed to call me out personally on Facebook. So here you go, Rob. Uh, Why I play Kings of War? Uh, I love the game. The rule set's fantastic. It's so crisp and clear. Uh, When I go to local game day down here with these guys, a lot of times I'm just sitting there watching an argument thinking... This just wouldn't be the case if, you know, we were playing Kings of War, but, you know, I usually don't say that to them. Also, the hobby aspect, multi-basing, just completely takes it to another level. Uh, I, myself, am not a great painter, as anyone will be able to say who's uh, played me at any of the tournaments I've been to, but I really enjoy the creative side of making the base look really interesting. My favorite Kings of War memory was uh, one of the first games I was playing. I just started. A buddy of mine was letting me use some of his human models for the human part of my Rordia army. So the first unit I painted up was some uh, Halfling Knights. I did a single troop. It took me like a whole week to paint them because I was a super slow painter back then. Moved him up turn one, and on his turn one, he shot him off with a single hit and a single wound on him and took him right off, which... I've seemed to just follow that pattern of whatever I paint up that's brand new is going to get absolutely crushed the first game I play with it. As far as the future goes, a thing I'm probably most looking forward to selfishly would be living somewhere where people play Mantic games uh, because it is kind of a uh, barren desert down here when it comes to finding someone to play uh, Mantic games with. But uh, yes, that's it for me and I hope you guys have a good one and keep countercharging. Hi, Paige Neal here from Newbie Dice YouTube channel and podcast. I play Kings of War because it is a clean and fun rule set for playing massive rank and flank war games, and I love fantasy battles. My favorite memory is running my own Hellpiece Rift campaign locally, with a lot of custom rules of creating your own hero that can level up, as well as having narrative write-up of each a plane of the battle, writing about all the battles that happen in the narrative format to tie all the plot together and culminating in a 12 by 4 feet table battle of 4v4 players and it is a very big and custom scenario and of course uh, that was really really very fun and for looking forward to the future, I'm looking forward to the digital age of Kings of War I know the companion has been off to a rough start, but it is very promising and if it continues to develop develop and be a polished product, I really see it helping in the community, in games and everything with living rulebook, lists um, and event support as well as tournament scoring system support, all of that tying the game together. Hey there, Countercharge. Congrats on 600 episodes. Thank you for all the hard work and dedication to Kings of War and all things Mantic. My name is Blake, and I play Kings of War for the fun games, you know, pushing large armies around the table and having fun with some of the best people on the planet. I've now been doing this for like 42 years, and so I'm kind of an old dog, but it always amazes me how fun the Kings of War players are, how great the community is, especially with people who've never played another game. So thanks for that. And then my best memory for Kings of War, there's so many in games and tournaments and, and things like having to play the Keeves back-to-back, uh, taking on all the Outlanders at Lady. Uh, <laughs> um, so many Snake Eyes and, and late nights at, at uh, conven- conventions or tournaments. Uh, you know, a great one at Lady of the Lake uh, with the guys. But um, my, one of my per- personal memories was probably Jesse uh, Cornwell uh, telling me about the game he played with my son at a tournament in Lansing. Basically, uh, 
with a special chuckle. Uh, he had related to me how the game went, uh, how my son had actually played really, really well and, and beat up most of his units. And he realized at the last turn he was, my son was maneuvering to win the game and did so. And Jesse had a trick up his sleeve. Uh, when Kyle ended the game, he thought he had won. Uh, I think it was one of Kyle's first tournaments. And uh, then Jesse had to, uh, or related to me how Kyle reacted when he found out that uh, Jesse's characters were actually scoring characters and that Jesse had won the game. Kyle was not uh, aware. <laughs> and uh, I'll never forget the chuckle that he had, especially when Kyle started telling his version of that same thing back. Uh, it's one of my favorite memories, uh, both of Jesse as well as uh, Kings of War. And then for the future, can't wait to run uh, Adept class this year uh, with Mike uh, and see all the people showing up for, for that at AdeptCon and then getting to go to Masters and the Best of the Rest this year. Uh, really looking forward to that uh, as well. And then, of course, always finishing another army and starting a new one. And then seeing all the new minis that uh, Mantic has planned to come out here in the near future. I think it's going to be a great time and, uh, you know, always forward and upwards. But once again, thanks everyone at Countercharge. Congrats. And, uh, you know, here's to another few 600 more. Thanks. With that, let's take a quick commercial break. And on the other side, we're going to get into the main topic for the show. We're going to give you a Kings of War rules retrospective. We'll be right back. I'm Ronnie from Mantic Games, and you're listening to Countercharge. Welcome back to Countercharge. And next up, we're going to do our Kings of War rules retrospective. Before we look at the rules itself, I think it's important to give you just a quick context. But back in 2010, Warhammer 8th Edition was released in July of 2010, right? And for those that long-term Warhammer players, 8th Edition was very polarizing. For me... I absolutely hated 7th edition. I thought it was garbage because it was it was character hammer. And 8th edition was a move back to maybe 6th edition where you had more infantry blocks. You had step up rule and that kind of thing. But I acknowledge it was a polarizing game system because we lost a lot of players from 7th to 8th that didn't like the, the less deterministic aspects of the game like random charge distances. So I understand that. So that's the first thing. Kings of War was trying to compete you know, was set up to be a replacement for Warhammer Fantasy Battles. Some players are going to like it, and obviously some might not. The second thing is Mantic models. Before the rules were even a thing, a glimmer in Ronnie's eye, they were making models. They had an elf range. They had an undead range. Just for memory's sake, I went back and looked. So the very first time I bought a Mantic model was March 2010, and I heard a reference about Mantic on Podhammer, Matt, which I don't know if you know who that is, but that was the progenitor of all Wargaming podcasting for Warhammer, uh, and it was out of Australia, Jeff Carroll and company, and they did a great job, and they had a lot of Mantic talk because it was before Kings of War. It was really about using Mantic models to play Warhammer, and they got me hooked, so I placed an order with the Mantic website. Believe it or not, I bought the Undead Omens of Death Detachment, and it was $34.99, and it only cost $4.50 to ship it, and I think it was like 30 or 40 skeletons and maybe a, a, a Balefire catapult, something like that. I think that's what it was in there. My next big purchase was in March 2011. You guys, again, weren't around for this, but they the first two-player starter set, Revenge of Morgoth, what a great value, right? So it was it was undead and dwarves. And I found somebody on eBay selling them for $44 a box. I bought five because that's, that's how I roll. Doing the math, it comes out to like 50 cents a model for the dwarves and less than 40 cents a model for the undead. And, and I basically split it with a friend. And so he took the dwarves and I took the, the undead. And like, I still have undead on sprue from that purchase 12 years ago. Mantic's good value, especially back then. Again, though, Mantic was really pushing 
an alternative range of models to be played with Warhammer. That was kind of their shtick before Kings of War. And then this is probably the most important set of context is what were the rules like? What were out there? Because what I didn't realize at the time as we went through it, how different Kings of War really was from what I was used to playing. And it was probably not until second edition I really fundamentally understood Oh man, this is really different. It's more dissimilar than similar. Yes, it's ranks and files. Yes, there's units. Yes, we use D6s. Most everything else is completely different. You know, the, the fact that they had element basing is, is huge. Historical players, not a big thing. They were doing that all the time. But coming from Warhammer, not removing your dead, that was just, what the hell? That's crazy. Systematic line of sight versus the uh, true line of sight. Separate player turns. On my turn, I'm the only one rolling dice. You know, and then obviously the big one, the, the streamlined mechanic, we didn't have to look it up in the to hit chart, right? Like my, my weapon skill value against yours and figure it like none of that. My favorite thing, flanks and rears really matter in Kings of War. And that was a distinct difference than, than any other game I had played. With that, let's get in. Let's go back to the time back machine. When do you guys want to do the time back machine sound effect for us? <laughs> They're not even old enough to get the reference, but Kings of War beta came out in september of 2010 as a pamphlet and i I do have the pamphlet and i we're going to put a link in the show notes it is still available on the beast of war website if you want to go and look at it all six pages of rules uh it is as you're going to see drastically different it started off they put the rules obviously available online for download for beta test but they also put it in the morgoth's revenge starter set it turned in from beta to the first edition, which was the same pamphlet. The only difference that I could tell was it now was stamped with first edition. They just changed it from beta to first edition. The only difference between the first and the beta, there wasn't the dark surge yet. First edition was a 12-page pamphlet. It replaced the beta in the two-player starter set. For those who don't know, obviously, the game design was done by Alicio Cavatore. He's recounted it. Ron has recounted the story. But it was like, hey, a little little game design challenge. Can you write a game system in six pages? And the answer is yes, you can. Uh, but in this pamphlet, there's no background. There's no army lists. Those were all separate. The big thing was it didn't actually talk about unit basing. It just talked about units of certain size, like infantry. Five wide, they're 5, 10, 15, 20. Horde was 40, 50, or 6, 50. Yeah, it used to be 50. Cavalry was five wide, either 5 or 10. And then heroes or monsters and war engines. Some of the big interesting things that for those who are listening to this from the perspective of third edition or even second edition, before we called it the leader point, it was the unit championing. And you actually put a model in the middle of your unit. And that was the point which you measured from line of sight and charge distances and that kind of thing. It was called the unit champion. Banners and musicians used to play a role in the game. They were part of your unit. And when you had a banner, essentially you were plus one nerve in combat. And when you had a musician in your unit, you made enemies that they fight minus one nerve. Again, the stats, speed, melee, range, defense, attacks, nerve, all the same. One difference though, the nerve was, was a single number. What else is missing? There's no height here and there's no unit strength. Those come much later. Terrain, compared to what we have in second and third edition, it was much more basic. You know, we had blocking terrain. We have obstacles and we had decorative terrain. Decorative terrain is like, it's just there for looks. There was difficult terrain like woods and rocky uh, or ponds. You just moved at half speed. You know, we had most of the same things for movement, you know, halt, change, facing, advance, back, sidestep, at the double. Those were all there. Charge distance was measured from the unit champion's base. You had to kind of model that in. And then shooting, very limited options. You know, we had pistols, javelins, throw weapons at 12 inches, bows, crossbows, and rifles at 24. And then war engines, 48 inches, 
they had to give him a halt command. So they didn't have the reload special rule that comes later, but it was essentially the reload special rule. Here's some of the interesting stuff, though. And this is the stuff that I'd love to get you guys take on it for someone that's playing second and third modifiers to shooting extreme range minus one. So if you're shooting over half the range, it's minus one. And then cover, if you can see half the unit, there's no cover. If you can't see it, you are in cover. But remember, there's no height differences here. So it's just like, you're drawing a line. It doesn't matter the heights of the units in between. And then minus one for moving. That's still that's still a thing. And this was in the context though, of shooting being much stronger though, right? Like the war machines and things in first were, were broken. The war engines themselves were, were way overpowered, even with the modifiers. Yeah. So having, having something like that extreme range was probably necessary. <laughs> like- yes. And we'll talk about it in the, the, fir- the actual first edition rule book. There's actually some more changes. But, you know, in Malay... We essentially had an inner charge. They called it minus one for defensive positions or disrupted charges. I'm glad they came up with the term hindered charge because I like that. That rolls off the tongue a little better. And one of the things that is interesting, you did have that regroup option after you charge, right? And if you blow somebody, you know, if you charge them and you kill them, you, you get to regroup. They had, you know, the change facing the D6 forward, D3 backwards, but they did not have the sidestep yet. Um, and remember, this is the day and age where we had the one inch bounce back, right? So nerve, this is probably the biggest difference because the, mechanically it's different, but the end result was the same. What you did was you rolled 2D6 plus the damage and you minus their nerve value. And then if it was seven or less, it was steady. If it was eight to nine, it was wavering. And it was 10 or more, it was routed. Remember, there isn't a wavering number. It's just a route value. So that's why it was done that way. I mean, you basically, you add the damage to your 2D6 and you minus the nerve value and it gives you a number and you had like a chart, you know? Special rules, we didn't have that many. And a lot of them will become rules that are special for different armies. But, you know, we had the breath attack, which is exactly what everybody remembers from second edition. We had crushing strength, exactly the same. No thunderous charge yet. Dark surge, which is what will become Surge. Dwarf throwing Mastiffs. Very similar. Five attacks, 12-inch range force to hit. But for every point of damage caused, you throw another dice, like an exploding dice. So you could potentially wipe out a unit with one Dwarf throwing Mastiff. And against shambling units, you reroll damage. I played on Dead. They clobbered me pretty good. Elite, big difference. It used to be you reroll one failed dice when rolling to hit or to damage. No vicious yet. Elven Saber Tooth Pussycat, it's basically the same as Throwing Mastiffs, but it's an upgrade for a hero instead of a unit. It works against units that are 10 models or less, or a hero, a monster, or a war engine, and it was resolved with Piercing 1. And then they had the Evil Dead special rule, which, again, was going to be rebranded by as Life Leech, uh, and it's a precursor to Life Leech, and it restores one damage. Fly, you, so you're never hindered, and you had Nimble built in. Remember those days, guys, when Fly meant you had Nimble? Headstrong? The same, except for it was on a 4 plus versus a 3 plus. Heal was exactly the same. Indirect fire, you can't shoot within 12 inches and you don't take cover. Individuals, exactly the same. You, you still had the minus one to shoot at them. They had 360 line of sight for moving and shooting. And it comes with a nimble special rule. Inspiring, exactly the same. Nimble, you, you basically got an extra change facing during the movement. Not a pivot. And you couldn't do it during charging. Really strange stuff, man. Phalanx, it was just extra attacks. Right, and it still had the minus one to hit for cavern flyers. Piercing's the same. Shambling is the same, and also it said you just can't be wavered. Undead giant rats. It's kind of like life leech, you know. Evil dead that covers one point of damage for a point of damage inflicted. And our only offensive spell was zap, which is lightning bolt. You know, all the army lists were on the website. The unlocking feature was different, so you basically had to 
take a solid unit, which was a 10 plus cab unit or a 20 plus infantry unit, and it unlocked one war engine slash hero or monster. So like you could get one of those. There were allies. There were limited units. The ones they weren't called unique or living legends. They were just limited units at that point, And they had, you know, had a one behind them. We only had three scenarios, kill, pillage, or kill and pillage. So it was a banner day for the shooting armies. Here's another one. We didn't have seven turns. We had six turns. That was it. Clocks were in the rules, and we we only had three armies. Elves, undead, and dwarves. Crazy. Yeah, I know some of the things that I've heard from the first edition players that really stood out to them and kind of as we, you know, go through the first edition rule book and in the second edition, you'll see those changes. But But it was the idea of the the banner giving you plus one and the musician taking minus one that everyone took both options. So basically it would be a wash. It would give you that sort of granular aspect of like, I want to buy this unit, something extra, but gameplay wise didn't really affect anything in the aggregate. Yeah. And I think too, because the models originally were created to be replacements for substitutes for Warhammer, they had musicians, standard bears. In that game, there was a, an effect. When they brought it to Kings of War, they're like, well, we need to have, we have these models. We need to make use of them. And eventually that goes by the wayside, right? Like eventually it's just like, yeah, you can put it in there. It looks cool, but it doesn't have an in-game effect. You know, I do question though, whether, whether we lose something by not having things like that, like whether you incorporate it in as, as simple, simple-ish upgrades, you know? like musician giving you a re-roll or something like that, something that you can add points to a unit, but then theoretically should be modeled into your unit. Yeah, I, I wonder about things like that. I like that idea too, because it's like, it gives you something other than just the magic items. Like a few units actually have, a, like, you know, rats have like plague pots, and then you have veteran command in Basileans. So you have like some of them, but I think a little, a few more of those types of upgrades for units would be would be welcome, I think. Ooh, and I never thought about it in that concept. That's very interesting to think of it almost as a magical artifact, but something that you can model into the unit. So in a way, it's like, instead of let's add these new magical artifacts, let's add some sprinkling upgrades that people can buy for like five or 10 points. That's like a cool, I never thought of it in that sort of, context no and the thing i like it too is like what the other games used to do right was the whole secondary objective thing yep or or there were objectives based on them which you might not necessarily go down the path but it would allow you to if you wanted to you know yeah but i I think it could be it could be cool something to look at in the future because it's and there's there's something a little bit immersive about that too right and another thing right cav since there was no thunderous charge cav just had crushing strength right so they they were just like beat sticks yeah, it was it was rough dude between that and the flyers and the and and let's we're gonna get to the first edition hardback rulebook oranges were a real problem when you're gonna see some of the changes that they made so really the the hardback rulebook in 2012 was almost like a one b we're gonna cover just the changes there's not a lot of changes but there's a couple changes in there that are very significant. Or was it the first Clash of Kings? <laughs> oh, that's a good way to look at it, right? Because theoretically, at that point, we had a beta pamphlet. Then we had a year and a half, I guess, maybe, of this first edition pamphlet. And obviously, one of the things I didn't mention, but you know, one of the big things that they're doing during this, this time is that they were adding more armies. So even though I said there was only the three armies, they had more coming, and they were playtesting those armies. Let's jump in and let's talk about this first edition rule book. That's the hardcover. You know, it was a 144 page hardcover book. Again, Alessio Cavator did the game design, but I want to point out, this is the first time we had some real background and it was written by Anthony Reynolds. 
and Guy Haley. So we're talking about Black Library authors, Warhammer pedigrees that have come over and, and gave us that first dose of what is it like to be in Mantica? Because remember, that's what it's called back then, right? It's not Banathor yet. In terms of the changes, we're just going to cover what, what's changed. In terms of the units, some of the sizes have changed. So infantry, they added a, a 25 man unit i should mention so infantry is five wide hordes 10 wide so horde they actually added a 30 so you could take a horde of 30 40 50 or 60 and an infantry 5 10 15 20 or 25 just goofy stuff first time we had large infantry and the first time we added large cavalry one of the things that i think is really interesting you know what a, a unit of three large infantry or cavalry was called called a troop you know what a unit of six of those was called a regiment I've said this before, not knowing that, but like it's, it seems like that's that would fix a lot of things because in currently too, because I think right now large cav, large infantry are definitely a little bit more effective for their points in a lot of ways than in normal infantry. The unit strength changes in three have have mitigated that to some extent, but still, but not not fully. Well, and I will say back then we didn't have unit strength, right? right? We don't have unit strength till much later. Well, unit strength is much much later. But it is interesting that that was the intention that a pack of three large infantry was designed to be the equivalent of an infantry troop. Yes, right, and and the six, the three by two is supposed to be a regiment. Yeah, and they don't have hordes. There's some implications to that. I do like the idea of infantry squares, though. That is. I like that idea. I think that would be a really... I know we can't do it now because the basing sizes are so ingrained, but infantry squares would solve a lot of issues. In terms of the stats, the only thing that changed here, and this is a good change, mechanically it made much more sense. I mean, we get to the same result, but the way we do it is much more uh, easy to understand. So now we have a waiver and a route value. And the way we did nerve, like we do now, 2d6 plus damage, you know, you don't hit the waiver value, you're steady, equal to or above the waiver, but below the route, you're wavered. And if you're equal to or above the, the route value, you're routed. And this is also where we got the first time the rules that some people like to bitch about the exceptional morale results. So the double six, we are doomed and the double one holds your ground. First time these came in. That's one of the best changes in this book, I think, from the original supplement, because, man, my head was breaking every time I was trying to do a nerve roll, you know, because you're like adding stuff to dice and then subtracting stat and then looking to a chart. No. You mean as in having a waiver and a route value was one of the best changes. We had waiver and route results, outcomes. Results. We had results, but because we didn't have two separate numbers, the way we had to go about it was a lot more convoluted. Mm. Now let's talk about shooting. War engines now have a 360 degree line of sight. They just pivot for free and shoot away. <laughs> And it does not count as moving because they do now have the reload special rule. Oh, you're coming up on the side. Whoop, bang, bang, bang. I like it. <laughs> uh, oh, it was rough. Any minimum ranges or it was just like. Well, if it was an indirect war engine, you still can only shoot 12 yeah, inches. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got to be 12 inches or farther, right? All right. Modifiers of shooting, though. If people are bitching about concealed versus obscured, try this one on. We have soft and hard cover. And the definition is soft cover is when the majority of the cover is compromised of things in reality would hide the unit, but not stop bullets, arrows, or shrapnel. What a rule, what a mouthful for a rule, right? And obviously hard cover would stop those things. That's a particularly thick branch. That's definitely yes. hard cover. Exactly. Well, technically exactly. that would go through a, a brick. <laughs> Yeah. But it got, it got even worse than that. So, you know, it's still, if, if, if greater than, 
half the line of sight was blocked as cover. But now if line of sight goes through three or more inches of uh, area terrain, it's also considered in cover. Obviously that last one, we just did away with it once. Like, Hey, you're 50% in difficult terrain. You're in cover. Now that was a great change that comes down the road. I should mention, this is also where we got the, the disorder rule, but it was called disrupted because they hadn't figured it out yet. They wanted to call it disorder. So disrupted just means, all right, I, I, I took a wounded combat in Malay and now I can't shoot next turn. I guess the other big change that we want to mention is a lot of new special rules that were added. You know, in this book, there are 21 special rules. And the ones that were added or changed, now we have the blast special rule. It's exactly what you think it is. A bunch of the rules like Dark Surge and Dwarf, dwarf Throwing Masses, because now we have more armies that you're going to hear about, those got put to the armies. So there are army special rules now. So that's Dark Surge, Dwarf Throwing Masses, Elven Saber, Tooth Pussycats, and Evil Dead. We do now have Grape Shot, but it is not what you think it is. It was just a breath attack, 10 with piercing one. So breath attack means you, you just had you 12 inch range and you hit on fours with piercing one. It's better because now it's 10 attacks needing sixes, right? Yep. Yep. Remember back in this day, breath attack, I don't believe even took cover penalties. So just automatic four up. Always hit on fours, just like a spell. This is also a big change. Nimble now is an extra pivot, not an extra change facing. And, and now it does apply to the charges. Piercing, this is, this is crazy, but yes, it is like like you would think but also if you had at least piercing three then you ignored soft cover and if you had piercing three and you're going through hard cover you would make it into soft cover does that make sense it would reduce the cover by one. <laughs> oh, just more rules that we had to remember regeneration was you know every point of damage roll a dice four plus or better you get a wound back here's what's interesting if you suffer a wound from a breath attack of zap regen's gone for the game just shoot them with zap and that's it they're done no more Wow. <laughs> oh, uh, and then obviously reload is now to the game. They just gave it a name. It's exactly what you thought. Stealthy is the first entry to the game. Minus one to shooting, just like you thought. Vanguard, right? It was called Vanguard, but it's the scout rule now. I mean, they changed the name down the road, but you know, it's at at the double move after setup is finished. Vicious comes into play now. It's it's now a reroll one failed dice when rolling to damage. And elite had become you know a reroll one failed dice when rolling to hit. So they separated the two because elite before was one dice missing either on hitting or, or damaging. That's it. I mean, those are the big changes. And then look, just the armies, right? Now we got abyssal dwarves. All right, guys, little trivia here. What were they called before they were called abyssal dwarves? Ooh, evil dwarves. They were called chaos dwarves, but it was with a K. Oh, <laughs> you're joking. K-A-O-S. I guess it's better than having a dollar sign for the S. <laughs> Just have both. Yeah, yeah, okay, and a dollar sign. <laughs> yeah, that was one of those deals where they were they were they were making models, and I think they wanted to, hey, you chaos dwarf players in Warhammer, use our models. And they wanted to be more on the nose about it. Remember, this is a time frame when they're making army lists and model ranges to really still I mean, yes, they have a rule set, but they're also looking replacements for Warhammer. And the Chaos Dwarves were discontinued, like like they hadn't been made in forever. Yeah, at this point they're still being made, right? The Forge oh, okay. World, I think Forge World are taking them over. Forge right? World, but like not in mass, not mass market. No, right. The the, the old Earthshakers and yeah, stuff yeah, that's, all, that's gone. all gone. But they have they have resin, really nice, yeah. high end models, but not cheap, right? Mm-hmm. So Abyssal Dwarves, you know, they have the the the, the mutated throwing mastiffs. They also this is where the Yellow Belly rule comes into play. I don't know if you guys do you guys do you guys remember the Yellow Belly rule? 
So it's basically a, a unit with this, which I think in this list was maybe the, the slave orcs. Yeah. Slaves, yeah. If you go to charge somebody in the front, you got to roll a die. And if it's a one, you just stand there and pick in your nose. Yeah. And you also can't be inspired, which was also interesting. Oh, that's. Yeah, I think that's that changed second edition. Yeah. Yeah. And Abyssal dwarves were also vicious. Dwarves were headstrong and had the dwarf throwing his massives. Elves were elite and had the elven saber tooth pussycats. The goblins, new army, were utterly spineless. Basically, they're, they're yellow bellied. And they did have some units with the big shield, which is six plus defense from the front. First instance of Kingdoms of Men. You know, everybody talking about, oh, Rodian needs to survive, not Kingdoms of Men. Sorry, bro. Kingdoms of Men has been around since 11 years ago. So suck it. Uh, but Kingdoms of Men, this is where we got the very inspiring, which is the 12 inch range. The pike. They didn't call it ensnare. They just said a minus two failings penalty. So, so you feel it, right? Like it's minus two instead of minus one from the front for Cav and uh, Flyers, right? It's going to become ensnare down the road, and they're going to separate it into two things. Orcs, they have crushing strength one, and then Twilight Kin, they were vicious. So, And then Undead was Undead. So they've rebranded the unique units or the limited units as living legends. So the biggest change, though, is the magical artifacts. We didn't have any magical artifacts in the pamphlet. Beta. Blade of Slashing. You rolled an extra die when you're rolling to attack, right? Fire oil. The the big thing here is it stopped regeneration for the game. <laughs> so if you shot them or you beat them in combat, a unit with regeneration, they just lost it for the game. They're like set on fire running around like, oh, no, my branches, they're on fire. Exactly. Basic crushing was one melee attacks has crushing strength one. This one's crushing strength one. And you had to roll it separately. It was, it was ugly. Piercing arrow. One normal range attack has piercing four. Ah, God, talisman of inspiration. We all know what that is. The points are different than what they are now. But yeah, it looks like most of, most of the items that you got, which were twenty nine, that they formed the the vast majority of what appeared in second. But at a higher points value, it looks like. Well, we didn't get the steed bane incense though. We gave him the failings rule. They had the blasting arrow. No, one ranged attack was blast d six. Yeah, that's stacks right. Stacks with other special rules. Brew of strength is exactly what you thought. You know, most of these are all the same. Some of them are no longer with us. In Source of Armor, that's one where you add for a hero, you add one to your defense up to a max of six. All right, let's talk about the broke ones that are still going to be in there in second edition. Jar of the Four Winds. You add 12 inches of range to your shooting attack. Yeah, I'm just looking through here. I think the rest of these are all pretty straightforward. G9 is plus one to shoot. You know, they, they're they all there. And then the heart seeking chant. No crystal pendant. And uh, scenarios, exactly the same. But I will say, this is where we get the seventh turn. So we play six and we roll a four plus on to get a seventh. What I think is really nice about this book, it's 144 pages. There is still some usefulness to get it today. There's a bunch of advanced rules. There are special terrain features that are more interactive. You could actually move into buildings and garrison buildings and shoot from buildings. There was also the first set of siege rules, campaign rules, and also rules for doing multiplayer stuff. You know, if you're interested, I'm sure it's a cheap especially the digital copy is probably relatively cheap. It's still it's still, it's still an interesting to read, and I think you could probably leverage some of that. Anything stick out for you guys when going over the first edition hardback rulebook? Well, I think what for me is that it's it's more strongly compared to the beta resembled second edition, right? Which would make sense, right? That we see, you know, a lot of the items that are in second, but at a higher points cost, we start to see more armies and some of the things. So you can see that this real basis of the game that we know now really appeared probably more so in the hardback book than the beta. I'll write that with you. I think this is where you could say Kings of War really started, right? Yeah. 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 Now we have eight armies. We have 29 magic artifacts, but you know what's still missing? There's not a lot of spells, right? There's heal, there's zap, 
<laughs> There's it. still not a lot of spells. There's it's still no scenarios, right? Uh, kill, pillage, and kill and pillage. Just a three. And at this point, you're either killing people or you're getting you're getting objective markers. Yeah. The pamphlet feels very much like a, we know what you're buying these models from, but here's some <laughs> rules if you yeah, want to yeah. play our game. Yeah. Whereas the, the rule book feels like, okay, we're actually going to make our own game. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Let's have a proper run at this. Yeah. It's kind of like proof of concept. And like, okay, here's the actual product. Yeah, and obviously they got enough you know, people interested in that pamphlet to then be bothered with the book. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah. And so then that continued, Rob, until 2015 when we got second edition. So I believe the first book was kickstarted. The second book was also kickstarted. We received it in July of 2015. I can't recall, maybe 2014 when we kickstarted it, something like that. Yeah, I'm looking here and, you know, game design still Alessio, but we had a we had a birth of a rules committee. Matt Gilbert, Daniel King, Sammy Muhammad, Chris Morris, Mark Smith, you know, and then again, we got background with Guy Haley and Anthony Reynolds, but now they've added Michael Gray, Mark Latham. That's another name you guys should know from Warhammer, Thomas Pike, Greg Smith, who was kind of the, uh, the lore master at Mantic. We've had him on the show, but much earlier. It's interesting to see some of these names. A few are still with us, but some are long gone into other, other things. But second edition is really a sea change. First edition was like, Hey, this is a real game. Second edition is like, it's a real game. You have to take this serious now, guys, because this is a real game. For the first time, we have this modeling note section where they, they actually go into great detail about unit basing, right? They talk about it because before the models we make, they come with individual bases, you rank them up in a tray. But now, you know, they really talked about, well, you can make these dioramas. Also now, unit upgrades like musicians and banners, unit champions, no effect. Gone. You know, now this is where the leader point comes into play. Maybe the most controversial part, reasonably close to the correct amount of models. <laughs> so this is when the discussion about people maybe abusing how many models are putting on a, a unit base. There's some discussion there. Yep. And it looks like we get the birth of basically exactly the unit sizes that we've still got now in 2023. People that bitched about, oh my God, the giant went from a 50 to a 75. Bro, I have 30-man horde zombie units, 10 <laughs> wide, 3 deep. Whites went from 25-millimeter bases to what they are on today. I had a whole army that I had to rebase. I'm just going to start painting for the the 25-man regiment to come back. That's, that's my new campaign for uh, Kings of War 4th Edition. Rob, that must have been as tough as when you transitioned from chalkboard to paper. <laughs> Alec, if 4th Edition comes out in 2025, you could be... 25 again in 25. Exactly. It just makes sense. This is also where we got heavy infantry for the first time as a designation. And it was listed in the unit entries. And and as you said, there's a lot of changes. We did get the Legion for large infantry for the first time. But a lot of this, a lot of the stuff is is what, what you remember. This is something we didn't point out before, but this is also the first time where monsters and heroes became separate things. Before it was like a category, monster slash hero. Now it's monsters. And then heroes, and they had a type. So it could be a hero monster, a hero cavalry, you know, like, like it is today. And then obviously the unit leader point places the unit champion. Height is now in the game. So that's another another significant change. Mm. Going from second to third, some of the some of the things change. But you know, infantry, at this point, infantry is one, and, and it goes up from there. Terrain, 
Very similar, a couple minor tweaks, difficult terrain. When you're moving at the double, you treat difficult terrain as blocking terrain. So that's the same as it is today. Obstacles now have a one inch height. They kind of lay out the rule that roughly if you have a, you know, one inch per height of the actual terrain is one inch of height in the game. Line of sight is blocked by difficult terrain now. Hills, something that's not part of third edition, right? Like used to be in second edition when you're on a hill and it's height, let's say it's height two, you ignore terrain that's height two or less if you're shooting over it. And you also didn't get, like, Thunderous existed, but you didn't get it off the hill. So the hill had no other interactions other than height. And that's actually in the historical supplement. Correct. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. Thunderous existed, but, like, the hill, the only interaction on the game was height. The most important change, though, guys, this is the introduction of the countercharge rule. I was at Buckeye Battles in... July of 2015, and I I looked at that book, you know, for the first time because I got an email. Here's your book, Rob, and I open it up, and I'm like, amazing, because I had been used to getting charged all the time in the rear, and nothing I could do about it. Oh, right. So you you couldn't you couldn't yeah right you couldn't turn around counter charge. That was the first time. Yeah, you want to charge me? I'm punching you back. Yeah. Yeah, right. So before that, you just had to keep bending over. Ranges, a couple new classifications. We had harpoon guns, carbones, and firebolts had 18-inch range. Long rifles that were 36 inches. They did dump the whole soft cover, hard cover thing. Now it's just cover. It's minus one. That's it. Kind of funny how, you know, we start with a six-page, you know, pamphlet doubled up. And then it goes bigger and bigger, and it gets more complicated. And then it gets simplified, too, at the same time. Things get more complex for a little more depth, and then they start to pare down. Like, oh, that's unnecessary. It's it's but that streamlining process, right? So you start with very simple, add a little bit, and then pare it down, just like the Clash of Kings process. Like you kind of add a little bit, see what works, pare it back, keep what works, and move forward. Well, for example, we can see that now they've got twenty nine special rules, right? Which is a significant increase. Some examples are like, yeah, brutal, you know, expansion of elite and snare and life leech and things like that. Because you have a defined stat profile, yes, they're all just different combinations of something that is actually common between everything. So whilst, like you say, Alex, are like at, at some level it looks more complex, it's still actually much simpler than a lot of other things. There's a lot less specific rules to armies at this point, right? right? Like they're generic and anybody, it's just simple. You you just have this rule. The special rules still play by the greater rule set. They don't make up new rules, right? This to me very much feels like we see it now in Firefight 2nd Edition, which is really a first, a first edition. This to me feels like 2nd Edition is king sort of realized in its modern context Mm. third changed a little bit fourth changed a little bit but it's still sort of all based off of the nucleus of second Mm -hmm. i really think to me feels like the genesis of the game whereas first edition is like astrolopithecus neo kingsis maximum it's like neanderthal it's like not even like a thing Whereas I feel like second really is the launching pad that the game has grown from. Yeah, the, the idea is coalescing into a tighter image, like it's coming into focus. Yeah. All right, so War Engines now have a separate section. They no longer have 363 line of sight. Big positive change. First Adepticon, my undead lineup. They start shambling across the table. Remember, you only had to have a solid unit to take a War Engine. I think Shannon had 12 War Engines. And 12 units, half my army didn't even cross the midpoint. It was all dead. This was a big a big change. I didn't mention this. 
You used to not have bases for the unit. Now they have a 50 millimeter base. They have the reload special rule. This is also where you get triple your attacks in Malaya against a war engine. Individuals also have their own section. It's not exactly the same as what it is in third. You know, they didn't have yielding and mighty yet. A lot of other stuff is the same. Matt, you mentioned it. 29 special rules. You know, big shield was new. Brutal elite is now just reroll all ones to hit. Ensnare now is a thing. Minus one to hit from the front. Fury. Now the countercharge is a thing. Iron Resolve is now a thing. You know, steady nerve test regains one point of damage. Life Leech is now named Life Leech and is exactly what you thought it would be. Nimble. Now they, they said you get an extra pivot. When you're nimble now, you don't suffer the minus one to hit for moving and shooting. Pathfinder is now a special rule. And uh, there's no penalties for moving through difficult terrain. And you're not hindered when charging through difficult terrain. And we also see a, a fair few of um, um, point changes, too, in the items. Lots of point changes. And, you know, I think that probably we'd be here for three hours if we went over them. The, the big thing here is what new rules are coming in and which ones are coming out. Phalanx, the big change here is now you no Thunder Charge to the front because Thunder Charge is now a rule. Uh, the difference, though, remember in second edition, if you're disordered, you lose all your TC. But remember in the day when you were hindered, you used to lose it all as well. Now you only lose one of your TC, if you remember that. Yeah. Regeneration is no longer 4+. plus. And Strider, never hindered, very inspiring, is now introduced as a rule for 9-inch range. And Vicious is now, we roll 1 to, to damage. Armies, we're up to 11 now. We add uh, Forces of the Abyss. Basileia. Basileia. Then there's Forces of Nature, Ogres. And you know who's missing from the book? That would be Twilight Kin. <laughs> huh. They've had an in-and-out relationship for a long time. People that think, oh, they're gone. Been there, done that before, my friends. What a magical race. The other big change with second edition is the way things unlocked. Before it was like you need a solid unit to unlock something. Now, two troops per regiment, four troops per horde or legion. You know, a regiment unlocks one of a war engine or a monster or a hero. And a horde's and legion unlock one of each. That all replaces the solid unit thing. And now we're up to 40 magical artifacts. A lot of them are still kind of around, maybe with different names. The ones that I would point out is this, this, the, uh, the blasting arrow that you pointed out is gone, right? But now we do have the Crystal Pendant of Retribution. We do have Orcsbane Amulet, which gave Phalanx. Medallion of Life, giving regeneration. Oh, Medallion of Life was so good with, on, an, on, a, um, on a tree herder. Defense six and then regening. It was amazing. The Caterpillar Potion, right? That was a huge part of the game. And you have stuff like the Quicksilver Rapier, which is plus one to hit individuals, which kind of just morphs into Duelist, right? In in later years, like in the, in the third edition. It was an interesting time. There was a lot of shooting stuff. Yeah, Brew of Keeninus. Plus one to hit in shooting, yeah. Heart Seeking Chant. Piercing one. This is one of the areas that you see, like it grows and grows and grows. And I think this is where they kind of hit the, the, the high watermark. You know, I don't know how many we have in third edition, but they definitely toned down some of these. First Clash of Kings, right? They removed some of these in second edition. And so that became a trend that almost like there's a, a seasonal effect. Okay, for this season, here are, you know, maybe scenario changes and or magical artifacts. I think also, too, one of the most interesting things about second edition is something that actually have nothing to do with second edition, which is this whole concept to me of you never know what's going to happen in the world. You never know where life is going to take you. And the fact that Kings of War had come out with a second edition just at the same time that Age of Sigmar dropped, right? Because, I mean, that's how I found the game is I was wanting to get back into miniature gaming. I played Age of Sigmar and it was like, okay, I get it, but not my cup of tea. What else is there? And it's like, oh, check out Kings of War. They just came out with a second edition. 
the timing has always been Ronnie's forte, because if you think back to the beta rules, they all came out in September of 2010. The edition dropped only a few months before that, right? And then obviously you're bringing up the Sundering. For context's sake, you know, I was playing Warhammer at the time and we all knew something was coming because we all began to hate Warhammer. They were taking things to like a preposterous level. I remember an event where I took my dwarf army. There was Imlric, I think is his name. He's a hero, an elf. I elf hero on a dragon. He literally killed my entire army. That whole period of time was a show for a competitive Warhammer. From a narrative perspective, it was interesting. We saw the light at the end of the tunnel. We didn't realize it was a train. That they were walking us up to the edge of the cliff and they were going to push us off. I remember I was like listening to independent characters a lot at the time. You know, because that was a 40K podcast I liked. And one of the guys on there was a, you know, a big fantasy guy, a couple guys. And they were talking about Kings of War. And that's when I looked and I found Counter Charge. And that was just after you guys had changed over from... Magic Radio. And I think you were on episode three or four of Counter Charge. Like really early, early, early brand new. The Counter Charge rule made an impression on me. What almost made me quit in second edition was the one guy I played against when I first started playing played Abyssals. And I can't tell you how many stupid times I charged into his stupid flying well of souls or arch fiends or whatever. And it's like, oh, I'm now going to charge that thing in the flank because you couldn't kill me in one combat. So I can just fly and I'll fly and charge. It was like unbeatable. The whole disorder loses fly and nimble. It wasn't a thing back then. Yeah, it wasn't a thing. So you could just be charged as a flyer and then just fly away and charge something else. Fly your wraith over. And then the wraith thing wasn't even as bad. To me, it was like those big cheesy monsters that when they get in your flank, really get nasty. But, oh man, I was so... that, That probably to me was one of the biggest changes that they made in second to really improve the game. That actually didn't even really happen. That wasn't until Clash of Kings 1 or 2. Near the end, yeah. More spells and more scenarios. So they have their own section now, right? So Fireball, Bane Chant, Wind Blast, Lightning Bolt, Heal, Surge. And for the scenarios, now we have Kill, Invade, Dominate, Pillage, and Loot. But Invade and Dominate, this was based on the the points. (laughs) So, oh, I got three vampires on a horse. This is way before unit strength. And Loot. If you guys remember, you used to take the tokens off the table. Oh, you could run away with them, yeah. You could run off the table, and that's it. The unit is no longer in combat. One of my favorite King's memories is from that, though. Like, it was so amazing. I literally had nothing left on the table, but I'd run one token off, and he hadn't run any off. Like, he hadn't done anything, and I won the game. Uh, we should mention the advanced rules that were in the first edition rulebook are, are no longer there. Finally, tonight, we're going to close this out with just a quick mention of Uncharted Empires, which comes a few months after in 2015, in the fall of 2015. And it's a 73-page softcover expansion. Game design, again, Elysio. But a lot of the playtesting of the armies themselves, a lot of the background stuff. You know, Matt Gilbert, you know, we had him on the show like episode a million years ago. And he talked to, you know, at that point, he was the uncharted empires project manager i think this is where he starts to flex his influence isn't it you know this is really the the start of the the matt gilbert era absolutely and this book gives us two new special rules it gives us the rally rule my favorite which is still with us today and advanced deployment do you guys remember advanced deployment so the herd had it oh yeah i forgot that disappeared yeah it's yeah. not in the game anymore yeah it was not very good <laughs> Well, it's terrible. I used it for a little while. It's bad. Yeah, it was It was not a good rule. I mean, it basically what? It's basically a piece of blocking terrain. It had nerves. So you, you, if you put it too far forward, your, your enemy could charge it. 
and kill it. A very dubious uh, uh, unit or piece of uh, tech. We did get nine armies added to the 11 that were in the main rulebook. So now we have 20 armies and we got Brotherhood before they were dumped <laughs> into the abyss. And Empire Dust is, is a thing in the herd and the Night Stalker army. First time we saw them. This is before any models were even thought of. It was just all sketches. Ratkin, Roria. Roria back then was a, a joke army. It was a, poking fun at GW. You know, the twin-tailed comets smashing into the ground. It was it was silly. Salamanders. You know, and we had Matt on to explain why they're called salamanders, but yet they're reptiles. I mean, what I find really interesting about that list is that two of those in in the Night Stalker and the Trident Realms, like we always sell that Uncharted Empires was the come and play from Warhammer. They weren't Warhammer armies, you know, so that that was the start of two of them dripping in some of their own IP. But what's also interesting is that two of those armies, other armies have now become more of their banner armies in the salamanders and the Empire of Dust. Absolutely. And you can even argue Ratkin at this point. I mean, they make the models. Yeah, it's it's a huge line. It's one of their more complete lines. We're going to end our romp through the rules here, because I think at this point, you're going to get into this endless cycle of a bunch of Clash of Kings with minor tweaks, taking us all the way through three and then 3.5. Having said that, like, I think I think what Jeremy brought up, though, was probably the best change that Clash of Kings ever made was the changes to the fly special rule. And yeah, unit strength. Um, like King still thrives on being faster, right? But at that point, the fact that you could just do what you wanted with the flyer, flyer was not variable in terms of speed either. You know, that, that it was just like 20 inches, do whatever you want, whenever you want. It just meant that you'd put down as many flyers as you could. Now you can, you, there's tons of strategies on how to deal with flyers. Yep. They're still good, but there's counterplay. This was a time when there there was no counterplay. Period. I remember after Uncharted Empires dropping, like someone bringing like a Brotherhood or Peg Army against me, and it was a, it was just a disaster. It was such a nightmare, you know. <laughs> like, yeah, there was just nothing you could do. So to me, that was probably in second edition as far as the changes they made through the life cycle. That was the one that I think I totally agree. That really was a defining, a defining change of that edition. You bring up a good point too that the Night Stalkers and Trident Realm. Definitely their first approach of, hey, we're going to make a real mantic strong IP army. Like, this is going to be our stamp on the world. Mm -hmm. And obviously, it continues to develop, and they've added other armies subsequent to that. Well, it's not until I saw it written like that that it like that I it actually occurred to me that it was in this supplement that was ostensibly for something else. Yes. You know, that they went, you know what, we're providing this, but. Well, it was really about, these are the armies Mantic doesn't make models for. Yeah. Before, there were a bunch of play tests. For Uncharted Empires, what we had, I'm sure, I'm sure our Alex was probably he had the Ratkin list and he's play testing, he's giving them feedback, right? All that stuff subsequent to actually putting in the book. But yeah, it's interesting looking at it in hindsight. Yeah, I wonder if there was something else as well. Because when we interviewed Ronnie, he said, "Well, we kind of knew this was coming, but we released it in two books in case we got hit with the IP stick from." He did say that. And what I wonder then is, well, did they also drip some different IP in so that it was harder to remove even that book? Maybe. Maybe. Interesting. Yeah. I always remember like the, the one the one running gag in Warhammer was a Fishmen, right? Because the UW would never make a Fishmen army. Yeah, yeah. True. And now you've got one. Yep. I think Uncharted Empires is kind of like the the capstone of like the, what Jeremy was saying, like second edition, like coalescing Kings of War into like what we know the, the the real fleshed out body of what we know today like everything is built off this foundation 
comparing it to first edition, it was so drastically different. Second is much closer to third than it was to first. A, a micro evolution compared to like a macro evolution from first to second. And first, let's be honest, it was a terrible game. Dude. And for people that have been, you know, hey, what about Firefight? You got to go through first edition to get to second edition. That's just the way it works. Yeah. So anyone who grew up in the 80s and like playing GW games, like those those first few iterations were a hot mess too. Even fifth edition Warhammer, Hero yeah. Hammer, like yeah. Wood Elves, a hundred man unit stringed across in a line, and the dude flies high. I can't shoot him. I'm like fourth and fifth were just like why? They're they're like more ideas than games. First edition was like the brick cell phone, <laughs> and second edition is like the first iPhone. Like it's it's we we now have better smartphones, but they're all within that sort of yes. context of a touchscreen. It's like the phones that Tubbs and Crockett used in Miami Vice. That's what I'm telling you, man. It's like the stockbroker brick cell phone. <laughs> it's like the centipede game you have on your Nokia from like... <laughs> yeah. But I also think that where we're sitting out today, we even now still have a fair bit better game than when Uncharted Empires dropped. And I think what's really important to point out is after Uncharted Chartered Empires dropped, other than the core rule set, that's where like the influence of Alessio stopped at that point, and it's been in the hands of the rules committee, you know? So like what we have now is an evolution of that. Probably mentioned at this second edition, you know, Alessio did the rules, the army list, the magical artifacts. I mean, that's all done by mainly the rules committee. So that's when they became a player-driven game at that point. Yeah. When you have that situation where the players are driving the rules. There's pros and cons, right? And I think we are in a better place because of that. Yeah, imagine what the game would be if we were still playing the original game. And there wasn't, you know what I mean? Even Warhammer. They purposefully would put different people to write the next edition because they wanted the game to, in that game, it was kind of a hard reset, right? It was almost like a new game. But I think there's a real value in, you know, even what we're doing now with maybe the, the rules committee changing from time to time that's a good thing because you want an influx of new ideas and i think i think this new 3.5 book that we've got this might be right now for me is the high watermark like it's one book to rule them all big rob's book that's got some that's got some legs alex we've got the three-legged stool and big rob's book let's wrap this up you know one thing i did want to mention before we get out of here a couple things we are going to start a mantic army slow grow challenge what are we calling it? It will be a challenge for me. Yeah, well, that's for sure. So we're going to be starting that on March 1st. We're working on the rules. We'll we'll have them out. We'll have an whole episode on it. I'm going to announce here the big prize. I'm going to build somebody a, a custom table with a mat, the whole nine yards. I'm going to work with wow. the person. They're going to tell me what they want. Oh. We're gonna we're gonna build it. It's going to be bespoke. It's if they want 3D printed stuff, we can go that route. But if they want my scratch built trees and all that, we're going to go all in. So that's coming. I would like hard and soft cover. I want individually handcrafted leaves. I do have a leaf stamp and I do have brass leaves as well that we, we could we could we could make that happen. You know, you're not eligible for winning, so it doesn't matter. I was just going to say, I'm so excited. This turned into a fast grow league over here. Oh, guys, it's been fun. To, it's been fun to kind of walk down memory lane a little bit and just kind of see the the iterations of the game to kind of bring us up to obviously up to beginning of second edition there's some big changes there and as you guys said the changes from second evolving into where we are now at 3.5 multiple iterations but the the individual changes might not be as drastic and i think with the cl- the yearly updates it's been a, a a smoother ride guys is there anything we missed anything uh anything we want to we want to mention before we're out of here keep playing kings of war and keep listening to counter charge 600 and still satisfying
<laughs> That's right. Mantic Radio was like 2013, I think. It's 10 years at this point. If you countercharge, it'll be eight years in August of 2023. It's just crazy, Rob. Like you were just telling me tonight, you're, you were talking about going to a, a high school orientation night. I look at my life when I joined the show back in 2016 and to think about all the stuff that we've all gone through while doing this podcast. The podcast has been the most consistent part of my life for the last seven years. My dad died seven years ago last week. And when he died, we had to drive to Michigan. And I remember Countercharge is what got me through it because I edited a podcast on the way to the funeral and all that stuff. You know, and I was in the back on a laptop. And I remember like editing a podcast on the way to going back to Michigan for my, my father's death. So it was it's been with us for a long time and it's going to be with us for forever. Getting through my divorce, the, the, the countercharge family has been my saving grace, you know? So I, I hear when we, we, we talk a lot about how, you know, the community and the family, and it's not just words we throw around. It's stuff that I think we all truly, we really believe that. And it's not just, you know, the community at large that we see at all the GTs. It's all the, you know, there's a lot of personal relationships that we've built like one-on-one small groups that, you know, are really powerful. You know, it's hard to make friends as an adult, you know, <laughs> Kings of War makes it easy. You got common ground. You, you guys yeah. have something to come to the table about. I love Kings of War because you come to the table. I leave all the crap behind to the real world. All my cares are out the window and I'm here just to have a good time and enjoy the game and the company that, that, that I keep at the table. Wargaming has always been a big part of my life for a long time. One of my friends that I got into Warhammer with back in the mid 90s, uh, he called me last night and he unfortunately told me that he's got stage four cancer. One of those moments in your life where you're like, man, this is a real thing to find out. But at the same time, he is trying to be as positive as he can. And I'm like taking inspiration from that. I'm going to be 50 this year. And it dawned on me after talking to my friend yesterday that like, yeah, I'm losing people now because I'm, I'm of that age where, you know, and people that sh- we shouldn't be losing, like, like Jesse, we lost it way too early. None of us get out of here alive. So while we're going around the sun, it's these relationships and it's, it's, it's sticking together. It's the only, I feel the only, the only way we can make things work is if we look out for each other. And I think that's what we've always, what we've always tried to do for the show is look out for each other, you know, give you guys stuff to take your mind off whatever hardship you're going through in your life. And you guys have done the same for us by, you know, commenting on the Facebook, by listening to our episodes, by going to events, you know, we're all helping each other carry the load because yeah. life is a lot on our shoulders sometimes, right? It's a and team. Many, it's a team yeah, effort, right? Absolutely. Many hands make light work. And I think that's that's just how life is. It's, it's you know, we're brothers and sisters that help each other carry the load in life. And I know I, I'm so, we're all so grateful for that. We do need to mention Riddle of Steel is coming up. The Riddle of Steel, yeah. Low Wolf is also coming up. And then we have March of Death, first weekend in March up here in Hamilton, March 4th and 5th, I believe, back at Riley Veterans Association for the weekend. So that'll be a good one. And by the time you're hearing this, the Kings of Memphis 3, Revenge of the Bard, Rules Pack is posted. Let me know what you guys think. I can't I can't wait to have another great time here in Memphis. You're always hindered in Memphis. <laughs> it's all that barbecue. It weighs you mm, down. Oh. I can't wait. I can't wait. I can't wait. I can't wait. One final thing before we got here. Kingdoms Memphis, this year, we're going to do the traditional thing, two-day GT, all that, right? But we're looking at 2024 of getting into a bigger venue and actually adding a third day to the event. 
And we're really excited about the potential of doing a narrative thing on that Friday where maybe it's tied to Armada and Bush. We're not keeping score. We're just making sure we all have fun. That's something I think that we're probably looking for for 2024 is to grow the event into more of than just the two-day GT. Actually add like a, a narrative bent to to the Friday. If you're on the fence at all, sign up for Adepticon. Hopefully uh, this, by the time you're hearing this, more spots have been opened. And, and if you're on the wait list and they email you to say that you have a spot, take it. Because if you don't take it, they're going to move on to the next person on the wait list. It may be a very long time before they get to you again. Let's get that clash up to 60 players, you know? If you show up at Adepticon and you want to be on the podcast, Jeremy will make that happen. I will. You can get on the show when I'm running the when I'm running the podcast table during R- Rob's triumphant armada tournament. <laughs> you mean when I'm getting sunk to the bottom of the ocean? <laughs> right in some rough seas. We're gonna call that the Davy Jones Locker segment. Yeah. It's been a lot of fun reminiscing and it's been a fun 600. Obviously some of you have been here less than that 600, but (laughs) it's been a fun ride. We have to take a moment before we leave and we got to send love to our brother, Mark, right? Yes. Mr. Zielinski, a huge part of the show, a huge part of narrative. You know, he, he, you know, can always retire as the, I got Duncan Rhodes on the show. So that is still his, his claim, his claim to fame. We're talking about hosts of the past. I mean, Andy Sherman, Steve Hildrew to, we miss you, Steve. A lot of contributors that have come and, and, and maybe are doing other things now. I like to think that we have a lot of sons and daughters. Yes. Jake Carapica, right? He got, you know, Jake Hutton at the time, recorded us a few segments, and then he spun that off into his own podcast. Connor charges a big family. Yeah, and once you're part of the family, you're always part of the family. You can't leave. Who wants to take us out? Coos, do it. All right. That's going to do us for tonight. And until next time, keep countercharging. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you next time on Countercharge. Please let us know what you thought of the show by emailing us at counterchargepodcast at gmail.com, on Twitter at countercharge15, or by commenting on the Countercharge Kings of War podcast Facebook group. If you enjoy the show, you can help others find out about it by leaving positive reviews on iTunes. Until next time, keep countercharging. Music is a composition of Kevin McLeod and is licensed under Creative Commons. So we ready to do this? Everybody got yeah. the notes up? Yep. Yes. Yep. Let's do it. Teeth of the leaf lips. The human torch was denied a bank loan. Yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> That's a new one. I, I got to practice there. Um, what Rob will edit out? Mm. Sibilance. Mm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, well, we've already given you the outtakes now. Yeah. Let's yeah. get it on. <clears throat> For sure. <laughs>